What is up, movie friends? Welcome back to Letterboxd Recap, where we go through all the movies we've been watching, as well as rating the Letterboxd Top 4 of 5 of you listeners. James, how has your week of movie watching been? We have been busy with the secret projects. It's very secret, but very cool. The coolest yeah. project we've done. So it's actually taken up a lot of our time, so I even have... I have James' numbers this week of I movies watched. I have six movies, the seven movies this week, but they're all blockbusters. They're all huge movies. Jim, <laughs> you six beat movies. me. Six movies, I'm sorry. You beat me. I beat you? Yeah. How you, many do you have? Five. You only have five? I beat Anthony! You beat me. I did it. You beat me. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I should get an award. I know. It's because of the secret project. It's taken up a lot of time. Yeah, it has a been lot taking of hours. up a lot of free time. But it, it was so cool. But also, speaking of projects, or not really projects, but Spotify wrapped. Yes. We were, we're recording this on Wednesday when it dropped, right? Yes, and the day of. everyone's been sharing their Spotify wrapped with us. It's been so exciting to see, and we love when everyone shares it on Instagram and Twitter. We've been reposting it. We've got some massive fans. We have thousands of people who are in their top one podcast Almost like 10,000 people were in their top five. Wow. And there was, I think, 17,000 people were in their top 10 podcasts listened to. Oh, can you show me how to look up at, at, at the account? Like, you got to go just on the desktop version okay. of, of Spotify for podcasters, right. the back end of where we upload. So, so many people are listening to us, which is amazing. We have some insane listeners for fan wise. Freaking Logan has 23 minutes, wa- 23,000 minutes watched. He's a 0.05% fan, which is bonkers. Damn! But really, Tyler, 32,615 minutes watched, a 0.05% fan again. That is insane. You guys are incredible. We appreciate you so much. Zachary's another big one, 18,949 minutes listened to. Uh, Caleb's out there. Caleb is 18,586. So many people sending these in. And also, we know a lot of you listen to us on Apple. And so you won't be in the raft. And then also a lot of YouTube listeners. Yeah, so we appreciate y'all too. But man, it's wild to see how many of y'all listen to us for, for how many minutes a year. That's that's so heartwarming. It makes me feel so appreciated. And, it's you know, great. We put a lot of work into this show. So we loved Spotify Rap. This is our favorite time of the year to see everyone's statistics and how much you're listening to us and where we rank in your top podcasts and stuff like that. It's such a fun time of year. So keep sharing them in the stories and everything and on Twitter and we will... Repost them and everything. Who is your most listened to artist, James? <laughs> Who do you think? Hans, Hans Zimmer. Hans. <laughs> so my top five were Hans Zimmer, uh-huh. Ludwig Göransson, Gustavo Santaolalla, John Williams, and the Lumineers. And my top songs were A Dark Night from the Dark Knight track, uh-huh. Moon Over Caledon from Dune, <laughs> Paul's Dream from Dune, Windmills from Tenet, and then Longing from Last of Us Part Two. How many hours were you logged in with Hans? Hans, I was in the 0.5%, 0.05%, and mm-hmm. I have 10,357 minutes listened to. Beat ya! By how much? 10,830 minutes. How did, oh, you mother. Although it's lower, it's on the low end, because I was at 14,000 minutes last year, <laughs> uh, and so I was a 0.04% fan, but I listened to a lot of John Williams this year. He's Yeah, John's always in my top five. He was number four for me. What yeah. was your top track? My top track is this rock track from Dan Owen that... When I was right, when I was writing something, it was just on repeat. It was just really helping me get in the mood. So I listened to that 130 times. It's called "Hideaway" by Dan Owen. I listened to "A Dark Night" 122 times. And my top artists were Hans Zimmer, John Williams, Lorne Balf, uh, Gustavo Santolaya, and then. <laughs> it just says Assassin's Creed. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was Creed. listening to Assassin's Creed scores, 
but like the for some reason the artists aren't credited. It just says Assassin's they Creed. Just them all as an artist. What's the image they use from one of the games? Yeah, from one of the games. Look, it just says top artist Assassin's Creed. That's pretty funny. <laughs> oh man, but I listened to yeah a ton of because Lauren dropped Lauren Balf dropped four albums this year, so I was listening to him a lot this year. You're a big Lauren Balf fan. Yeah, he's great. He uh, ever since Assassin's Creed Three, he's been he's been up there. For it's me. so funny we both have Gustavo on our list too, but you don't have Ludwig. I don't have Ludwig. Well, yeah. I mean Ludwig has only he hasn't made that many scores yet. I listened yeah. to a Tenet a lot, and I also listened to I listened a lot to of Oppenheimer lot, yeah. this year. But Tenet is is a big soundtrack for me. I also, I mean, James Horner would be there, but I listened to a lot of Lord of the Rings ambiance YouTubes. So it'd be well, like, I got you into that last yeah, year. It'll yeah, it'll be like, I'll get my Lord of the Rings fix from those as opposed to playing his album. So James Horner really should be there. I mean, Howard Shore. Sorry, Howard Shore. I was going to say James Horner didn't do Sorry. <laughs> I was just thinking about James Horner because someone just sent me something about him. Um, but I listened yeah. to a lot of Howard Shore, but it's from these YouTube three-hour-long ambiance uh, sound soundscapes and so yeah those are great i listen to a lot yeah. of harry potter ones of those and there's a lot but ambient worlds is a great youtube yeah. channel so i, I mean a, if, a yeah. fun plug if you if you threw that into my listening that would be in the top five for sure so howard shore should be up there youtube should have a youtube rap <laughs> although you <laughs> probably too much content a lot of people might not want to share with their youtube channel their youtube i don't want people like, to look at what my yeah, youtube watches might, are that's might, different canceled it's a whole different thing <laughs> you gotta keep that secret man you gotta have separate accounts you gotta have a burner account for when you listen and watch stuff on YouTube, a burner YouTube. Yeah, you don't want the you don't want people coming after you. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of keeping track of what people listen and watch, let's get into our Letterbox top four from five of our listeners. Again, well, first we're gonna do our first log movies, and then we'll do that. Uh, sure, yeah, that's what we. Yeah, that's because we don't have that many movies. All right, fine, dude. Let's get into the. I guess the James doesn't want to hear from you. I I love hearing from them. <laughs> Just that's the format. We do one each, and then I get it. We're skipping the format. Skipping the format. We're uh, we're improvising, man. We have been improvising this whole episode because we did Spotify Wrapped. You're right. All right. First up, we have Caden Spencer. He wrote, "Definitely not the best taste in the world, but hopefully, I have a reliable one." Hey, it's your taste. It's subjective, and to you, it's the best taste in the world. Wow, what a great answer, Jeff. Yeah. Spoken like a true politician. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be most useful, Pius. <laughs> this Voldemort line. <laughs> Deadly Hollows. <laughs> All right, first up, we got Goodwill Hunting. So your taste is already great. What are you talking about, pal? This is, this is amazing already. Then Logan. Great. I love it. Then we got Rambo First Blood. <laughs> Let's go. That's the first one. That's the first one we've seen in the top four. And then Deadpool, the first one. I like this list. It's I cool. think this is a reliable taste, Kate. He just likes having a good time. These, These are all awesome movies. Like, they're all really good. First Blood's great. I'm happy to see that. First blood. First blood. <laughs> Why'd you make him sound like like a monster? <laughs> That's what he sounds like. He's like, they drew first blood. They drew first blood. <laughs> you make him sound like Batman. <laughs> they drew first blood. Well, you made him sound like Venom. <laughs> Venom. They drew first blood, first blood, first blood, venom. All right, next up we got Joe Dinley. Joe put, Dazed and Confused. Hey, we're actually going to do that very soon. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Once Upon a Time in the West. Let's go. I love that little double feature right there. <laughs> and then 
Dude. <laughs> <laughs> <was for> you. <laughs> Thanks. What a great list. That's that's a terrific top four. Yeah, he's been watching some great movies lately. Talk to me, The Long Goodbye, and then California Split. Denise's going to South Korea, I think, in the next couple in December to do a couple screenings for Doom. He's also showing a bunch of footage for it because I, I guess there's a big Dune fan two? base. Yeah, for Dune to- there's a big fan base out there in South Korea. Nice. That's awesome. All right, next I up. I mean, he's coming out in four months. I guess so. Yeah, it's all. Oh yeah, it's fucking almost December. So excited, man! That's crazy. I'm so excited. Okay, we get it. <laughs> I just can't hide it. I just want to see dude, 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 dude. <laughs> That's great, man. This, this is great. <laughs> Moving on to Holland Smith, Holly North on Letterboxd. We have ooh, great list. The Royal Tenenbaums, amazing. Another Goodwill Hunting. Hey, we, that's getting up there for It very is common. getting up there. I mean, it's very fucking, common. I would put it in my top four, no problem. Punch Drunk Love. Love it. And then Cure. Oh, hell yeah. Nice. We Good actually stuff. talked about Cure on Monday's episode. It's Great Japanese one. horror film. It's a good one. And then recently, Holland has watched Tropic Thunder, Female Trouble, Grand Budapest Hotel, and Super Bad. I'm a lad farmer, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we got Luke uh, Cornball with three L's on Letterbox. <laughs> Thanks for specifi- specifying that it's three L's. Yet, or I was like, should I say Cornball? <laughs> and then his bio is. Maybe an acute detail we didn't need. <laughs> his bio is Space is Cool. <laughs> space is very cool. He's got like a World of Warcraft uh, character for his profile photo. It's great. It's hilarious. Are you sure it's World of Warcraft? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I didn't know you knew characters that well. Yeah, it's World of Warcraft. Um, Looks like one of those dudes. I gotta put my glasses on. Let me see. It could be. It is. Luke, it is. I can't speak to World of Warcraft personally. I'm an expert. It looks like a cool guy, though. I'm an expert on the craft. (laughs) (laughs) You're a craft I'm all about that life. (laughs) All right, first up, we got Interstellar. Hell yeah. Keeping up with the space thing, we have The Martian. I love this. Space is cool. Yeah. The Martian made space cool, too. It was a cool movie. Yeah. Made science cool. I mean, we had Interstellar and then The Martian were back-to-back years, 2014-2015. Interstellar was, what year was it? So Dark Knight Rises came out in 2012. Yeah, 2014. Yeah, 2014, yeah. We, yeah, back-to-back years of great space. Wow. Space. Both bangers. Space. Then we got... I think another- Gravity was like 2013, right? Or 2016? Gravity was, twenty. I think, 2013. Wow. Yeah. Space was hot in the 2010s. It really was. So hot. So hot, dude. Not as hot as anymore. Even not, though it's freezing out there. Then we got another Matt Damon movie. The Departed. The Departed. What was the name of the de- of The Departed? <laughs> the Departed. <laughs> <laughs> then we have Finnegan's. Uh, <laughs> his family owns Finnegan's. <laughs> <laughs> We're not here to solve the murder. <laughs> We're here to take down Costello. <laughs> That's outstanding. Oh yeah, working microchip Over- processes overtime. <laughs> you just do an entire episode just <laughs> screaming out departed quotes. <laughs> that might be funny. <laughs> All right, then the Shawshank Redemption. What a list! What a list! And then recently, Luke's been watching Hot Rod. <laughs> Dude, Hot Rod, I finally watched it last year after so many people told me, and especially our brother Jamie. It's his favorite movie. And um, 
it's so silly and dumb, but funny as hell. Yeah. I cried laughing at the scene where he's falling down his cliffside. I, I was crying tears. I like the uh, the the dancing in the forest. <laughs> yeah, the dancing in the forest is great. <laughs> then also jumping off the ramp into the pool that he barely makes. It. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. It's funny as a movie. And then uh, American Made. And then Barbie and Oppenheimer. Oh, obviously. hell yeah. Cool, cool. American Made. Solid. And our final top four. From listeners from Waden, this is the life I live, and it's the only life I know. Kane. I don't know that quote. Kane. It's cool though. It's a cool. Sounds quote. familiar. You sound like a cool dude, Caden. All right. First up, we got Pan's Labyrinth. Oh my God! Yes. Menace to Society. Hell yeah. Shutter Island. Look at this list. And The Condemned, which I haven't seen. The Condemned. Ten people will fight, nine people will die. You get to watch. Oh, it sounds like a, kind of like a Hunger Games-esque kind mm. of movie. The Condemned. I'm going to have to add it to my watch list. And then recently, Wayden has watched Uncut Gems, Seven, Persona, and Talk to Me. Just wow. a bunch of bangers. Holy crap. What a great week of watching movies you had. Great marathon. I love it. Now, thank you to everybody who sent in their letterbox Top 4. If you'd like to have us read your Top 4 on the podcast, all you got to do is screenshot it and DM it to us on Instagram. We still have 124 to get to over the course of our episodes. It's the number. The number never changes because we get yeah, so many new ones every week. Loose, yeah. <laughs> we get a bunch. I delete four, five every week, but we get we get like five every week. <laughs> now let's get into what we've been watching. Yeah, what have we been watching, Anthony? What? Should I go first since I have more than you? Yeah, how's it feel? This is nice. <laughs> I, I have the power now. I have the microphone. I have the power. <laughs> I have that the power. A, was that a fake laugh? No, it's good. I oh. have the power. <laughs> I have the power. It's the lookout. Yeah, the lookout. Yeah, because we were just talking about that. It's a JGL movie, heist movie. Moving on to my first watch of the week was an episode we just did. on. We did a Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Might as well do them both back to back right now. I gave them both four stars, and especially Alien Covenant, I said, has aged better than I remember, episode Monday. Now, Prometheus, of between the two of them, I have the most problems with, I would say, kind of structure-wise and story-wise, but the filmmaking is so good. It's great. It really is, and the production design, wardrobe, the acting's terrific, and it's got a great third act. It's more of a monster movie, I would say, compared to Alien Covenant in a lot of ways. Well, actually, no. No, I think you got versa. that back, uh, backwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to say like, that. What the fuck is he talking Let's about? Let's rewind the monster movie. It's <laughs> less of a, it's, Prometheus is the greatest film it's ever It's less made. of a monster movie than Alien Covenant. But I still really like the ideas. Though they were going for the scope, not having the xenomorph in there. Let's do something different. The origins of humanity, the origins of starting to explain the origins of the xenomorph as well as the chest burster from Alien 1979. They don't really cover that, which I thought they were going to do. We, we talked about in our, in our yeah, episode. Yeah, I mean, there's you made a TikTok clip about me talking about how when they set out to make that movie and announced it, it was like, oh, they're going to explain the space jockey with the chest burst and the fucking ship crash. That's the original script. That yeah. was the idea. That was the whole point of making the movie. And then I said I was disappointed that they never explained that. And people went off of me in the in the comments like, dude. I think they misinterpreted yeah. what you were saying. I was like, I understand that the movie didn't do that. But I was like, that was what we were initially sold when the movie was announced. Like, oh, they're going to explain all these mysteries about Alien. Yeah, because then you kind of sort of have to implement it's a different planet. It's not LV426 where the colony was, obviously. It's yeah. not the, obviously, the Nostromo dis distress call. So it's a different planet yeah. where somehow the 
the eggs of the xenomorph, the facehuggers had to interact with the engineers at some point. So what? How? That's I'm. It just leaves more questions than anything. It was just an unanswered thing that we were expecting to get answered. It's a movie we thought we'd get answers, but ended up giving us more, more questions. questions. But I still really like it. I yeah. still have a good time watching this movie. And then Alien Covenant, I gave four stars as well because <laughs> I remember when we talked about the episode when we were doing it, and you're like, it wasn't as good as I thought. I, it, when I first saw it. You didn't love it. Yes. Same. And then when I rewatched it, I was like, this movie's awesome. Mm-hmm. Kicks ass. The first half, a little slow. It's too similar to Prometheus in a lot of ways. But once it gets going, holy crap. The second act, second and third acts of this film, the second half are terrific. Get the xenomorphs back. Scary. Great action sequences. And it's a really exciting third act. I, I love, I really liked Alien Covenant. I also gave Alien Covenant four stars. And I wrote, much better than I remember. This is the third best Alien film. And improves upon Prometheus by giving us some more aliens and bloodshed. David is one of the most fascinating AI characters in cinema. I wish we could have gotten a sequel to this film to finish up this sequel, this prequel story. And I do wish, I mean, it's kind of a shame that we didn't get to see the story finish because I think it would have been a fantastic third film on the colony with just mayhem and just the destruction that caused the, the distress signal that eventually reached the Nostromo. I think that could have been an amazing film. And so it's. A, I'm very sad that we never we're never going to get that movie. Although Romulus, Alien Romulus is getting some good word of mouth, especially from Ridley Scott, who said it was awesome. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. But I really liked Alien Covenant. I didn't like it when I first saw it. I never watched it again. And then I watched it last week, and I was like, this movie's awesome. I had a great time watching it. Yeah, it really challenges the audience and challenges humanity, creation. Where do we come from? Religion versus science. It's got a lot of big ideas that it really gets across, I think, exceptionally well. Yeah. And then Michael Fassbender is just outstanding. He is. All right. Should we move on? My next watch of No, the- we shouldn't. Let's just sit here. My next. <laughs> All right. If that's what you want to do. Should we even talk? Or- well, we are sitting here. My next watch. Just tell us the next movie. Well, since I have the microphone and I have the power, I'll take my sweet time, Anthony. I have a microphone, too, so, if, so you don't, if you don't go, I'll go. My next watch, I can cut you off. I got the the button. I got the uh, audio interface right here, man. He's got the buttons. I, I showed somebody Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope for the first time in their life. It was really exciting because I love mm-hmm. doing that for people, showing them like a banger from history sure. or an all-timer. It was really fun, and I haven't seen it. With my projector before, but I finally watched it. Every time I, I watch a movie for a rewatch with my projector, I'm sure you experience it with your huge TV in your room now. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like almost in a theater-like experience where you're picking up on things you've really never noticed before. And yeah, I, I kind of yeah. saw that in this film. And even though I've seen Star Wars freaking 20 times like everybody else, I still saw some new things I never saw before because of— Like what? Uh, I <laughs> You're going to laugh at me. <laughs> A Dune reference. Oh, yeah, you told me about that. C-3PO this. makes a Dune reference when he's in the oil bath. He says, says uh, thank the maker. I'm like, that's a Dune reference. <laughs> Is I that never... because of the projector or just because you've been a Dune fanatic? No, but the projector it because it like really gets you. It's like in the cinema. It immerses like, you. It immerses you a lot right. more. Yeah. And it's loud as fuck. So did you do the Leo? Once upon a time in Hollywood. <laughs> and my five-star review for Star Wars is... But I was going to Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. <laughs> Luke. <laughs> I love Star Wars. It's incredible. I mean, we've done episodes, seven episodes on Star Wars. And second best Star Wars movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd put it at second best probably, yeah. We all know what the best It's really is. incredible, but there are, 
I, I give it five because of how incredible it is and how much it changed cinema. Yeah. But there's so many things about it where you're just like, that doesn't always work, especially with some of the acting beats and the character beats, especially with Luke. He gets over the death of his aunt and uncle real quick, even though he has the binary, <laughs> the binary sunset. The next day, he's just adventuring. It's in like an hour, dude. Yeah. He's like ready to go. I was like, hey, he's smiling in an hour. Wait, why am I here? <laughs> Who died? <laughs> but he gets that binary sunset, which is a really moving moment after their death. But then Leia... Her planet gets blown up in front of her, and she's like, don't do it, no. And then she's, like, a minute later joking around. Yeah, she gets yeah. Oh, over yeah, the, you're right. Yeah. She gets the over the, the explosion of her planet and the extinction, extinction of her people real quick. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Real she's, quick, she's Leia's chilling, over that. She's chilling after So that. I think the script kind of lets Leia down in terms of a character. It was a little fast. For yeah, her, like, yeah. for losing your entire planet... Alderaan gets blown up, and she's just like half hour later joking around with the guys. <laughs> I get that. I never realized that. Yeah, you're right. I, I feel like if they gave Leia a little more sense of tragedy for what happened grief. to her people, yeah, yeah giving her, giving her some grief instead. Yeah, it's just it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, like her entire people is gone, gone, billions of people dead, and she's <laughs> just like, oh no, don't do it. <laughs> give her, give her a little more. That's a good point. I never thought about that. It's it's no it's they do funny. get over death pretty quickly. But I freaking love Star Wars, man. All right, next up I have Midnight Run, which is a great Robert De Niro road comedy. I've been meaning to watch this for a long time. Uh, it's co-stars with uh, Charles Grodin, who's a fantastic comedic actor. He was in uh, Rosemary's Baby. But so Robert De Niro plays is he um the older guy in the other in the apartment downstairs. No, he's one of the younger guys. In Rosemary's Baby, yeah, gotcha. He's the, I think he's the doctor. the doctor. I think so, yeah, yeah, he's the doctor, I think. So Robert De Niro plays a bounty hunter, who is trying to transport Charles Grodin, who is the bounty. He recently was released from prison on a like a thousand dollar, hundred thousand dollar bail, uh, and he's a, a mob accountant, and so the mob wants to kill him. And then De Niro wants to bring him to the bail. They'll bail bondsmen to get 100K. And so there, and also authorities are after <clears throat> the accountant as well. So De Niro's trying to transport him literally from Philadelphia to LA. And it's really funny. The two of them have so much chemistry. <clears throat> De Niro does the comedy. Like, I always thought Meet the Parents was his like, first real comedy, but this is. His first comedy, and he has the comedy chops. What year is it? This is 1982. Oh, wow. That's an old 1988. movie. 1988. That's an old movie. 88, yeah. It's like when De Niro's like starting to show his age a little bit. He's like starting to age a bit. But he's really fantastic, and it's so funny. It's just a funny action comedy. It's made from the director of the Beverly Hills Cop movies, so it has that tone. But De Niro, it's funny because like you watch an action buddy road comedy, it's like De Niro's still bringing world-class acting to it. <laughs> it's like, holy shit, he's making you cry. It's interesting how many comedies he's done since, like, what, like, 95 Since and Meet on. the Parents. Meet the yeah. Parents, Analyze This, and then so many of these corny comedies he's done in the last 10, 15 years. you got to pay the bills. you got to – I mean, like I said to Anthony the other day when we were talking about how Taika Waititi came out saying that, like, Money is part of the reason why I work for Marvel and made Marvel movies. I wasn't a huge fan of Thor, the comics, but it's a good paycheck. And I said, Anthony, well, I mean, and there's someone else that came out saying something like that, right? Yeah, something else. And Someone, I said, yeah, yeah, well, these people want to fly 
private for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Like, <laughs> do you want to fly private? It was Anya Taylor-Joy being cast in Fantastic Four. Exactly. And I was like, would she do that? And you were like, well, she wants to fly private for the rest of her life. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's a good point. I, I was like, Mia Goth and Blade. Too, like, yeah. yeah, Anya Taylor-Joy, Silver Surfer, Marvel Money, you're set for life. You know, a lot of the independent films that a lot of these big actors do, they don't pay a ton. But that Marvel money, that Disney money, that's the franchise. It's the franchise money. It's, it's not just Marvel and Disney. Yeah. It's franchise money. So I was like, if I was on your Taylor Joy, fuck yeah, I'd be the Silver Surfer. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah, I would too. I would twenty <laughs> mil for the rest of my life every like five years after the effort comes. I mean, think about the what they make every year just off that percent. Yeah. In terms of residuals, residuals, yeah, yeah. off a Marvel movie, it's a lot <laughs> gets rented every single day by like a hundred thousand people, probably. So many people, a lot of people. So it's like a stock that it will also builds. Pay you. It builds your stock with audiences, so you can get you can keep getting those paychecks. It's, good, it's with a other business movies. move. Yeah. It's a business move. I would do it. I would direct Thor five. <laughs> yeah, I'd fucking direct Absolutely. the fuck out of that. I would direct Barbie two. Let's go. <laughs> um, what were we talking about though? Midnight Run. Midnight Run. I'm gonna have to check it out. Yeah, it's really. I think you'd like it. It's really funny. I love De Niro. Yeah. My next watch was another big blockbuster. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. I gave this four and a half stars. And I wrote in my review, the superior Deathly Hallows film. Now, Deathly Hallows Part 1, I think, gets a lot of low ratings in terms of when people put it on their lists. And I think it's a better movie than Part 2. I think really? it's awesome. I really love it. I, I really like in terms of the adaptation. Don't get me wrong. I love Part 2 as well. It's a war movie, basically. They both kind of are. But this one, I really like the intimacy. And sort of setting up the stage for the war. I, I really like it, but I, I love the adaptation. I love the first act is really terrific, and then a great spot to leave the film off with the co- shell cottage with Dobby's death is really emotional too. So I think they did a great job with this one. I mean, breaking into the ministry is one of the coolest fucking sequences ever. Yeah, super in the Harry fun. Potter movies. It really is. I also watched Harry Potter Deathly Hallows Part One because we have uh, an episode coming out on them. Well, we're guesting yeah, on we're a guess, show. We're guesting on a podcast. We'll keep you posted about that. So we had to watch them. We had to watch. Had, them. had, had I mean, to watch. I them. mean, I've only seen them seventeen times. <laughs> so I mean, I was like, I didn't have to watch them, but I just did. Same. And I'm going to start a marathon now after them. <laughs> but I gave Deathly Hallows Part One four and a half stars as well. Although I do think it is the inferior of the Deathly Hallows movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's extremely accurate, though, to the books. To the book, it's really well done. Uh, the score is really nice from Alexandre Desplat. I think that he took over and really brought a lot of great music back to the franchise. And you really hate Nicholas Hooper's music. I don't music. hate him. He's always talking shit about Nicholas Hooper's music. <laughs> he did Order of the Phoenix and Half Blood Prince. Half Blood Prince is great. Yeah, it's had some great moments. Yeah, has some, has great, some great moments. moments. That's your compliment. I <laughs> sorry, Nicholas Hooper is my favorite composer. I never said he has to be your favorite. Alexander Desplat is way better. I never said he wasn't. That's all I'm saying. He's Alexander Desplat is. He's in a world class. He's in a class of his own. Exactly. He's so unique. What about Nicholas Hooper? Huh? Nicholas Hooper's terrific. And he did a great job with Half Blood Prince. <laughs> oh, what about Order? Order's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I thought. I, I will say for Order of the Phoenix, he made music just as he made a musical theme for Umbridge that makes you despise her as much as the it's character. A good, it's a good theme. Yeah. yeah, it's a good Umbridge theme. However, I think he lacked the the at the scale. Of Alexander Desplat's music, he's—I think Alexander Desplat. If you can't get J Dubs, if you can't get Williams, he was a good person to finish out the series. Yeah, I think it's—it's it's a great movie. It's a great adaptation. 
Imagine if they got John Williams back for the Deathly Hollows movies. Dude, I made a tweet a month ago, and I was like, I wish, I would love to have John Williams make move, new music for the films. Just that, for fun. Just for fun. Just for funsies. And some, some guy, he uh, he quote tweeted me, he's like, this is the worst take I've ever heard in history. This is a horrible thing to say. And I was like, what, what? Mean, I why? can't want more John Williams music? I thought uh, that seems like a, lot, a fun thing to hear what he would have done. Crazy. I would love to hear what he would have done with it. That's not a bad take at all. Yeah, I think that's a totally cool take. This, this, just this, I like it ruined this guy's life, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> the fun thing with Twitter is that you kind of just put tweets out there that just things you think about. Yeah. Like, oh, that would have been cool if we ever got John yeah. to do the music. <laughs> how fucking dare you exactly. think of, How could you think that? Exactly. Exactly. Holy don't you cr- don't you want to hear it's what like a crime, Anthony? How could you commit that atrocity <laughs> against him? Don't you want to hear what John Williams would have done? No, Anthony, I don't. <laughs> I don't want to hear the greatest composer in history to see what he would have done with the rest of the Harry Potter franchise. How I want Nicholas you? Hooper. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, Nicholas. Patrick Doyle. <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ, relax, bro. I think it would be fucking awesome. Because I tweeted, uh, rather than him making more music for new movies it would be interesting to hear him make new music for the Harry Potter films I still think his music for the Harry Potter movies is some of the best he's ever done I listen to it all the time Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets is a terrific album it really I, is it's very incredible complex music I take away I take think, it's like when the more you listen to John Williams music you're like wow there's so many layers to it that you really need to spend a lot of time listening to the his music to really understand and really fully grasped it all, even I, his other scores. And I know the Star Wars music he's made is probably his most famous, but I think it's the the Harry Potter music he's done is more engaging as a listener in terms of like listening on your own. Mm-hmm. The Star Wars music can be I too agree. cinematic. I think you really need to listen. It works best while you're watching the movie because it can be loud and bombastic at a, lo- a lot of sequences. But I think when it comes from a listening experience, the Harry Potter stuff is a lot more digestible for just listening. Yeah, well, Star Wars has so much like that fast brass. It's just like jarring. Sometimes. You gotta watch something while you're <laughs> listening. <to it. laughs> Not all of it though. I mean, Binary Sunset. I've, that's a great race theme. Is yeah. great. Yeah, race theme is awesome. He's made some good stuff. For that's the one most, of the best yeah. tracks he's done for Star Wars. Yeah, is race some theme. of some of his new music is some of my favorite Star Wars music. Um, but yeah, he's just the best. And when the more you listen to it, but even his other scores like. I've been listening to like Seven Years in Tibet a lot, Memoirs of a Geisha. There's so many other great soundtracks that he's done that kind of fly under the radar, under the shadow of the big, big movies. Yeah, but also Harry Potter and Star Wars. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> what? I was trying to make a joke that you it didn't get. work. It, it, it did work for. It some, was confusing for you. It was confusing for, for everyone. You. Are you wearing a Carhartt hat? <laughs> Yeah, I like Gabe that. sent it to me. Gabe? Yeah. Wow, it's a cool hat. Yeah, I like it. It's cozy. It's cold out. You look now. like George Carmi right now. Oh, thanks. It's <laughs> a good looking guy. He's always got car- Carhartt on. Um, now moving on to my next watch of the week was <laughs> <laughs> it was it what? what? Well, let me, let, I'm gonna cut that out. <laughs> Deathly Hollows Part what? Two. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened to me once in a month and you get it every episode get out of here it hasn't happened yet today I don't know what you're talking shut about shut up Deathly Hallows Part 2 four and a half stars my review is does anyone else scream at the TV when Harry breaks the Elder Wand without repairing his own wand first <laughs> that's why it's not that's why it's the inferior Deathly Hallows Part 2 movie of all the inaccuracies of all the Harry Potter movies this one might get under my skin the most even though it's not as grand of a misinterpret or not adaptation fault as sort of like Half Blood Prince with the battle in Hogwarts. However, it's so tiny and minuscule, 
and also relates to how important ones are in yeah. the final film. Like, where's Harry going to get a new wand? He's just going to use Ma- Draco's wand forever? <laughs> no way. The, the, how he, they don't just, like, put it in there. Just repair, oh, Just repair your goddamn Phoenix Feather wand. I wonder why they didn't do it. I don't know. Maybe they ran out of CGI budget. <laughs> they had a, plenty of budget. It just seems like, why not? Yeah. And he just understand. snaps it in half. I remember the first time I saw it, we were in theaters, and he snapped the wand in half. I think I put my hands on my head like, what? Because <laughs> if you never read the Jim book, screamed out. he's supposed to repair his wand because it got broken yeah. when he's in Godric's Hollow. Yeah. And I was just like, it's one of my favorite inaccuracies of the whole franchise. <laughs> it, it always pisses me off. I gave Deathly Hallows Part 2 four and a half stars as well. I think it's better. But it's it's just um it's just because it's it's the the finale and they really pulled it off almost perfectly, the stakes the grand scale of it the the battle is just incredible and just to have all the characters back because you get the professors you get all the other students you get new characters like Aberforth and it's just what a sight to behold and they did a great job with uh, how crazy the final act of that book is. They did. They, I think they pulled it off really well for a big franchise to end on a high note. It's really difficult. However, it's not perfect. And for me, so I don't mind the wand, not repairing his wand that much. But there is something I do mind, and it's the only reason why I put it. I I took it down half a star is because the Harry doesn't fight Voldemort in the Great Hall in front of everybody. That's that, that's what the most exciting part of the, all the books is Harry just like tormenting Voldemort. Revealing all the secrets he knows about Voldemort. And I, I understand that they, in the movies, they reveal that Voldemort knows that his Horcruxes are being destroyed. That doesn't happen in the books. It's more of like Harry tells him at the finale. And Voldemort's like, what? You know what the fucking Horcruxes are? How do you know this? And it's really just like Harry destroys Voldemort um, with, the, with this monologue. And everybody's watching. And then they duel. And that's, I understand like they want these cool posters and is epic on the courtyard and but the fact that like nobody saw him kill Voldemort, that always rubbed me the wrong way. I agree in terms of the Great Hall. I think you're mistaken though, because that's the that's the reason why they go to Hogwarts in the first place is because that's where Voldemort's gonna go. Harry sees Voldemort see Hogwarts in his mind because then they that's when Harry says he's going to Hogwarts. We have to go to Hogwarts because it reveals to him that Voldemort knows that he's killing the Hor- taking out the Horcruxes. And that the next Horcrux is hidden at Hogwarts. Does he know that? I'm not, I'm not sure. I think that he's. So, I think that Voldemort's surprised to hear that Harry knows so much about his Horcruxes at the very end. He is to an extent, but maybe does. But that's the reason why Voldemort sees Hogwarts when Harry's looking into Voldemort's mind. He sees Voldemort yeah. look into Hogwarts yeah, yeah. because that's where I have to go. I have to go protect the Horcruxes. I think it's because. I have to go protect my final Horcrux. Yeah, I don't think that Voldemort knows that his Horcruxes are being killed yet. I'm pretty sure. I haven't read the books because in I think a few that he, years. I think he gets worried after the vault, the Green God's vault, uh, with Bellatrix and the sword. And then he's like, "Oh shit, are my Horcruxes in danger?" I think that might be it because I'm pretty sure Harry's like revealing about the Horcruxes at the end, right, right as they're about to duel, and, and Voldemort is completely shocked. That he knows anything someone, about them. Someone correct us and figure... Because I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I've read them. It's been a while! <laughs> but that's why he goes to Hogwarts. Yeah. And, and also, there's... During the the Voldemort and Harry fight, Voldemort's wrapping him in straps and rising him up and taking his... Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why would Voldemort stop trying to kill Harry right here? So the thing with that is... 
I was actually thinking about that the other day after watching it because that's something we've, we've always talked about. Is obviously we've always said it's like a great trailer shot to have Voldemort's chasing Harry through Hogwarts and the Battle of Hogwarts after he tried to kill him, but he survives the Avada Kedavra for the second time. Obviously, we know that he killed the Horcrux inside of him, but Voldemort doesn't know that. I don't think, and so he doesn't know that. Yeah. So even though he's Avada Kedavraing and sending that spell at Harry through Hogwarts, and then he just on the Astronomy Tower ropes him up, grabs him in his. Like and he grabs him by the neck. Yeah, yeah. he's like grabbed by the throat and like says something to him. And then he hits him like several times. He just keeps slapping him. He could just slash his throat yeah. like he did to Snape. Exactly. Is it because they wanted to make some cool sequences for to prolong the action sequence and get some great shots for the trailer? Which I think yes. But also, is Dumbledore? I mean, is Voldemort afraid of Harry but wants to understand more about why he can't kill Harry? I don't think so because he's not asking him anything. And also, there's a problem in, in movies that happens with writing where if you have a villain, if a hero fighting a villain, and the villain could clearly kill that hero, but they keep like throwing them across the room. You know what I mean? When they could easily just snap their neck or just kill them, it takes the stakes away. And you're like, oh, this hero's not going to die because they would have died if the villain was really going to kill them. Yeah, it seems like when the villain has the opportunity to kill, and they've shown that they will kill them previously. And they have the opportunity to kill the hero, but time and time again, they choose not to. It takes the stakes away. My guess is they just wanted some more scenes and dialogue between Harry and Voldemort. I think so, the, too, but before. they didn't need it. They could have just done that around yeah. the Great Hall. And they could have done it without him being strapped up. They could have been. They could have done it with like Harry hiding behind a wall, and they're like yelling at each other. Hey, why won't you die? Exactly. But I agree, the Great Hall is... But it works in the Great Hall because Voldemort is shocked and fearful as Harry's revealing more information... And he's like, it's a ton of dialogue for Harry. You know, it's a huge monologue. And then Voldemort's just so curious and shocked. And he's just listening to what's going on. He's like, well, how does he know all this? I guess. You know, I, I, I also am a little disappointed too. But at, from a filmmaking standpoint, it's a lot easier to just be in an open, empty space versus having 100 extras surrounding you, dealing with continuity, dealing with, uh, Bro, CGI. questionable CGI here and there. It, I'm just saying from a logistical standpoint, it was just a lot easier to have just two people in a massive open area. Hey, you're right. It is easier, but looks good on the poster. Looks good in the trailer. But man. I know. I know. I agree, I'm, I agree man. Otherwise, Maybe. yeah, that's why I have to knock it down half a star. High hopes for the TV show. They can pull it off in the TV show. TV show, they, they better. Have to. They better. It's one of the things they can do a lot better. Moving on to my final watch of the week was another big blockbuster. I was filling out some greeting cards for patrons who sent us their email, their addresses that qualified for a holiday card from us. And I put on The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. Haven't seen it in years. <laughs> years. I don't think I'm since s- it like came out back yeah, in 2012. Yeah, because it's not rewatchable like Lord of the Rings is. It really isn't. And I know a lot of people really love this trilogy, but I gave The Hobbit three stars. And I wrote, Ouch. Martin Freeman carries this movie on his back in Ian McKellen is just too old, and he really is. And the book is awesome. It really is. And I I feel like New Line Cinema just wanted to make bank. They're like, we can make another couple billion dollars if we make another trilogy. They did. And they did, you know. And at what cost? Uh, Less efficient filmmaking. I mean, easier filmmaking, CGI, more expensive, obviously. Less practical effects. Way less practical effects. And overall... I think it would have just worked so much better with two movies, maybe. 
Two movies, sure. Three is just too much. They're just prolonging it. They're adding so much to this these movies that aren't in the book at all. Mm-hmm. And like that white orc. Yeah, and the the because you need a main antagonist, obviously. Yeah. And I think Martin Freeman's perfectly cast as Bilbo. He's so funny, insanely charismatic, a delight to watch. Ian McKellen obviously is a legend. Him and Gandalf is one of the greatest castings in fantasy film history. However, he's just too old in this trilogy. His voice sounds insanely aged compared to the Lord of the Rings trilogy, where in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, he's what, in the 60s maybe? But he's so youthful still. He had so much energy. He was spry. Whereas in this trilogy, and specifically in this first movie, you can hear it immediately in his voice. He's just so much older. He's just too old. You and can't he's... take her home away. <laughs> She's too old. You know that Mista Mista lady? Yeah, I think I killed her. He's just, even though Gandalf really has no age in the lore, in the world of Middle-earth, in Tolkien's universe, the ca- he, Ian's just too old. It's, it's, it's <laughs> We get it. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, but it just doesn't work. Everyone's too old. Frodo's too old in the opening. Elijah Wood's like... 15 to 10 years older. <laughs> and it, also, uh, Orlando Bloom, his age shows yeah, too. It takes me out of it watching these older actors play these characters that are supposed to be younger versions of themselves, even though Legolas shouldn't really have aged at all. Same with Frodo, but the dwarves, I don't love them. And in the book, I like them a lot more than the movie, if that makes sense. Some of them are, are, are okay. I can't name three of them off the top of my head right now after watching I it. I can only name Thorin. That's it. Goin, Thor, Thor. Oin, sure. <laughs> they're just, I don't know. I don't love the dwarves. They're not memorable. They don't they have, aren't, yeah. yeah. It's just like they're a group and rather than individuals. They should be yeah. insanely likable, but for some reason when I watch them, I don't find it cinematically very interesting characters. And the CGI is just not incredible. And obviously they're experimenting with shooting on 60 frames per second, right? With this, or is it 120? He did 60 with that. He shot 60 frames yeah. per second. It has. It doesn't look terrific on our TV. They didn't. They ended up not projecting it um, for d- digital release. That yeah, way. it's. it's it, you watched it in twenty four, but they filmed it in sixty, and they tried. They did. They did project it when it threw theaters at the high frame rate, and people. It threw people off. Yeah, it just. It's the CGI is just highly noticeable in this film, and I don't <laughs> think it's really aged that well. I. Have, I mean, I. I'm not a huge fan of them, and. I don't really intend on rewatching them anytime soon, but I'll watch Lord of the Rings any fucking day of the week. Exactly, it's it's different. And it's it's strange because it was made by the same filmmaker. Well, it was a rush project, and yeah. they kind of just like, hey, can you please do this? We need yeah. you because Guillermo was supposed to make it, then fell through. So I think it was rushed. <clears throat> New Line Cinema was like, we're doing it. We need someone, and I think Peter Jackson's like, all right, Lord of the Rings is my baby. I might as well. If someone's gonna do it, I'll do it. Guillermo yeah. can't do it anymore. Yeah, I suppose so. Now. Moving on to my final watch of the week was Treasure, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. No way. Which is an amazing movie. I gave it five stars. And I wrote, the perfect movie doesn't ex... Ellipsis. <laughs> this is a John Huston movie. Uh, Humphrey Brogart, Walter Houston, Tim Holt, Bruce Bennett. Uh, amazing cast. And then... Uh, who won it? Walter Houston won. No, no, not... Barton <clears throat> Barton McLean won Best Supporting Actor. He's amazing in this movie. This movie's about three men who uh, set out upon the deserts of Mexico looking for gold. And they do find gold. However, even though they had this pact and this alliance before they set off on their journey, once the gold starts coming in, it changes their minds. And 
you know, and it affects them in different ways. And it really shows how people can turn on each other and the mistrust brews. It's just an amazing movie and so well written. There's some great action sequences, some great shootouts with uh, bandits and a couple of great action scenes. Uh, there's a great cha- train um, shootout. Really just phenomenal movie from start to finish. It's, in my opinion, it's one of the all-time great westerns. It's I haven't seen it in years, and I was like, let me put it on. It really is phenomenal. Great cinematography. Humphrey Bogart, uh, this I think is his best performance. It's like you picture him as like this, gr- he's always been like <clears throat> the suave leading man, the strong leading man, uh, in Casablanca, so many other, like some great film noirs. But then you see him in this, and he's like the villain, and he's like this dirty, mangy guy. And it's like, wow, I've never seen Humphrey Bogart like that. So he did a phenomenal job in this movie as well. Really helps uh, sell it as a villain that he'd never really done it like that before, playing like the antagonist. But all around, John Huston's one of the greats, and this is one of his masterpieces. And it's inspired so many movies that yes. you all know and love, like There Will Be Blood. Yeah, PTA said that he watched Treasure Sierra Madre almost every Sierra night. Madre. Well, Sierra Madre. Sierra <laughs> while, while making that film. He said he had that on repeat. I bet he did. You, get, you can understand why, the way that Houston captured mountains and landscapes and stuff. I love uh, John Houston's cameo from David Lynch in Fableman's. Where's the sun? <laughs> it's in the horizon. It's interesting. <laughs> get the fuck out of my office. It's such a good cameo. That was hilarious. Yeah, he, Lynch was great. David Lynch is John Huston in The Fablemans. It's a very meta, meta, very meta cameo. It's John Ford. Oh, I'm sorry, John Ford. Crap. My bad. It's okay. Do you know movies? No, I don't. <laughs> so John Huston is Danny Huston's grandfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he actually acts in Chinatown, John Huston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's John Huston. Danny Huston is in Wonder Woman. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just so people, he's, the yeah, villain. Yeah, he's yeah, one yeah, of the villains. Yeah, yeah. He's not Ares, but he's... <laughs> The Nazi. The Nazi. The Nazi. Nazi. <laughs> All right, that wraps Letterboxd Recap, right? You don't have another movie? No, it's everything. All right, that's everything. Yeah, that's it for me. That's it for me. I beat Anthony, finally. You, you beat me. It's because of the secret project. We have a very cool secret project we cannot talk about. We are under NDA, but y'all will get to hear about it and see it very, very soon. We're very excited. And thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for everyone who's been sending in their Spotify wrapped. Again, it's our favorite time of the year to see all the love and outpouring of support from you really makes us feel so great, and it makes it feel like we're, we're doing something that's worthwhile. We are. We appreciate you all so oh, much. Oh, yeah. It's been it's, it's my favorite t- day of the year is the Spotify rap day. And then become a patron, obviously, at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. You get all kinds of perks like bonus episodes every week, and additionally, you can get access to the ad-free version of every episode in the minimum $5 tier, $10 gets you access to Discord, and going up the ladder, just perk after perk after perk. So much to get. Uh, leave us a five-star rating or review on Spotify or Apple. They really help us get seen by new people on the platforms as well as charts. And don't forget to listen to ad-free episodes with Patreon. Yeah, you can link them together. It's pretty awesome. And other than that, take care, everybody. See you next time. Raiders of the Lost podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.